The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This podcast is presented in front of a live Astadio audience. Hey, hey, it's Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. You can find Midwest Swing on Twitter at Midwest Swing Pod and Zone Coverage at Zone Coverage M. And I'm your host, Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. We've got Justin Bailey producing at I am Justin Bailey and across the table at T Schreier three, Tom Schreier, the third. What up? How's it going? we got a Doing great good. guest. Yeah. So we're going to dive right into it. And it's, it's a very, very popular former twin. If you follow him on Twitter, you obviously know his thoughts about a lot of things going on in baseball right now. It's Trevor Plouffe. You can find him on Twitter at Trevor Plouffe, all one word. Uh, because I hate myself, Trevor, what's the temperature at your place right now? <laughs> I'm actually looking out the window right now. I think it's going to get to 65 today. It's a beautiful, sunny day. So, Is is there anything specifically that you miss about Minnesota? I, right now, um, it was minus 8, I think, when I left my house this morning, <laughs> and it was two, 2 degrees when I parked here at the podcast studio. So we're talking about a roughly 60-degree difference here. Yeah, you know, like, I have such fond memories of Minnesota and I really believe it's because I was there in the best parts of it. I mean, I got a little bit of the winter, every fan fest and then the beginning of the season's a little bit cold, but I mean, really I'm smack in the middle of like your guys Super Bowl. You know, you get those two or three months that are excellent and those are like that's what I envision Minnesota as. So, you know, I, I miss I definitely miss those parts. The summers are amazing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What has it been like when you return? Winter's not so much. <laughs> yeah, winter winter's rough. Especially when the players are at spring training, which is like seventy and sunny in Fort Myers. No right kidding. Now. But um what is it like <laughs> returning? You were here, I think, for Maurer's retirement, uh, you know, number seven, and you were just here for the winter meltdown. Uh what is it like when you return here, see the fans again, see Minnesota maybe in a little different climate? It's awesome. I mean, I always, always loved going back there. I mean, I have a lot of, you know, awesome memories there. You know, my son was born there. Uh, my wife and I had, you know, great places to live there. We love, honestly, I, I always tell people the thing that I love most about Minnesota is just the people, like the culture there. You know, you find in every different city you kind of go to, there is some sort of culture or just, you know, overall attitude that people have. And then in Minnesota, it's just everyone's friendly. Um, everyone seems to get along. It, it feels really safe, you know, it just has that, like that utopian vibe to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't really grow up with that. I mean, I love Los Angeles, but it's, it's a different vibe out here. And then when you get to Minnesota and you just kind of see how everyone just kind of helps each other out and is very friendly. It's just, a, it's a whole different vibe. And I think, you know, I don't want you guys to take that for granted. Hey, so baseball reference says your nickname is specialty. This is the first I'm hearing of it. What, what's that all about? <laughs> Oh man. Well, you know, only a few people call me specialty. So how did they find out about it? um, Well, no, it is. It was my nickname back in the day. Okay. Um, I, I, I grew up in a, in a town that was dirt bike oriented. Like you either, either rode a dirt bike and you rode a BMX bike. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of how it was. And I didn't ride a dirt bike. (laughs) So (laughs) I was a, I was a, I was a BMXer and we, uh, we ended up starting like a, like a biker gang, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm being serious. Okay. No, Tom and, laughs at everything. Um, Don't worry about him. 
we uh we all had our own nicknames and uh that was just kind of what was given to me i mean i was like a younger guy i was hanging out with my older brother and stuff and we all had nicknames and that was mine so i mean nobody a few you know good friends of mine will call me that still but uh you know when we had like the players weekend jerseys you know i, I didn't want to put like poofy because that's what everyone does call me mm-hmm. so i i had that one man as like an homage to my childhood and um yeah specialty so it's pretty good so you were walking around the the downtown Minneapolis area after the meltdown. What uh, what kind of shenanigans did you get into? Because I know Tom went to the loon afterward, and I don't know if you did as well. But you know, you had some time on your hands, no family. Well, what'd you get into? Yeah, I went to the loon the night before with uh, with Joe Nathan, and had <laughs> a good time. <laughs> but um, you know, it, I really just never have any alone time. Mm-hmm. you know i'm always with my family you know or you know even when i was playing you know we're always with your teammates and whatnot so it was just like kind of a strange time for me and i i put my airpods in i just like walked around the streets and it was i was going to bar la grassa and i walked there from our hotel and it was you know it's a mile mile and a half so i had some time and um it was awesome dude you know i saw a lot of people you know a lot of people were friendly they're waving to me asking me to come in and have a beer with them and i just kind of said no thanks and uh, thanks but no thanks i think i ended up that night i went to modest mm-hmm. oh, and i yeah. had a beer yep which is an excellent brewery there and i was searching for some good food and i went to bar the grasso the weight was crazy and i just didn't feel like dealing with it so i ended up getting an uber and i went to uh chino latino and got some fried Up rice down. that, that yep. was like my favorite meal while i was there so i, I ended up getting that it was kind of nostalgic for me, and I sat there, and it was great. <laughs> so you didn't play the I'm Trevor Ploof card and not wait at Bar La Grassa? <laughs> I didn't. No, I didn't. I did not play that card. You got to save that card. You don't get I don't it to that me. Card, I don't know if that card still works anymore. But along those lines, I feel like you guys get pretty good reception as ex Twins players. I feel like people really love yeah. you, Joe Nathan, well, Dyer. Well, and this Mornell. might have been your first time back at Twins Fest, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. So your reception. And I've like, always got, I've always got that. The reception, you know, with Twins fans, I don't really know what I did. You know, I, I feel like I was always kind of nice to people, but um, whenever mm-hmm. I go back and even on social media, like, still get a really good reception from Twins fans. It's really cool to see. It's really special. So what did you brief aside here? What did you put in your ears with those AirPods? What have you been listening to lately? Because I know I and and Bailey, the mm-hmm. producer, is a big music guy, but I'm always looking for new uh, new new jams. I don't think the kids call them jams anymore. I'm always looking for new music, and I feel like it's tougher and tougher for me to find. So yeah, most when I'm when I'm just kind of cruising, like I'll either put on um, like a good Pink Floyd album. Oh, I like yeah. uh, Adam Hart Mother. Wow, and that's just kind of like you could just listen to it and just do your thing. Um, I bet you're going to say Lead too, I'm, based on your walk up music or Bone Thugs. <laughs> no, you know. I've been trying to just go through playlists and see if I like can find some new music, mm-hmm. but um, usually that I'll find new like rap music that I like, but I haven't, you know, I'm a kind of a guitar driven music guy and it's really tough for me to find that new music that I like. I don't know if it's what, it, I don't know why that is, but um, so I'll, I'll revert back to like my, my favorites, like Pink Floyd's a big one for me. If I'm just kind of chilling, like you put some Floyd on, you can just let it ride, which is kind of what I like. How did you get into it? Like it was my uncle who introduced me to Pink Floyd. How did he get into their music? You know, I think it was just in high school. 
you know, uh, you start hanging out with different people and, uh, get introduced to different music. But like, you know, back then it wasn't now I feel like kids, you just kind of put on your Spotify, your Apple music, you can really just go crazy. But you know, back when I really started getting into music, it's like you either had the radio or you had to go buy a CD or you burn CDs. So I think that was, I had a buddy that burned like a mix for me, like when I was like a freshman in high school and I had some really good classic rock songs on it. And it was just like eye opening. Like, yeah, I've heard these songs before, but, but at that point I was just like ready to ingest like something new Mm -hmm. and it just hit me. So I think that's probably how I got introduced to it. You know, obviously I'd heard it before, like some, some Pink Floyd songs on the radio, but uh, you know, you get into the, the deeper cuts and you start to learn about them and, I've been a fan ever since. So to switch gears a little bit, spring training is going on right now. And as a 2004 draft pick, I would assume your first big league spring training would have been maybe 06, 07, maybe 08. Um, when, when was that? And, and what do you remember from that first go round with the twins in spring training? Yeah, I think it was 08. I think that's right. Okay. Um, I had, a, you know, I, I had a few at bats here and there, you know, when they call guys over from the minor league side, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, 2008, you know, I just remember going there and just, I just kept telling myself, just like, shut up and go to work, you know, like, don't say anything. Don't look at guys, you know, lucky for me, I had, uh, I had some relationships with some of the big league guys. So I wasn't like some completely foreign kid that nobody knew anything about me. So, um, you know, I would speak to those guys, but other than that, like you got you know, I remember going over and, you know, seeing Johan Santana and, and all those guys, you know, the bullpen with Nathan's and the Greer's and the Cranes. And then you had the M&M boys and Kadires. It was very intimidating because there's a lot of guys who have been having a lot of success in the big leagues. And, you know, I just remember feeling like I don't want to screw this up for anybody. So oh, <laughs> I just right. kind of like, you know, just was there for my head down and whatever they asked me to do, I would do. What is the value of having those veterans around? I know you guys have the guys on the team, but now kind of ex twins, you think I'd like Tory Hunter could in the locker room. Uh, what do kind of the, the more veteran players or ex twins offer to a young player like, like you at that time? Honestly, I think you ju- I just, I learned from just watching them, you know, just kind of how they go about their business. And everyone always says, look, you need to find a routine. You need, you need to establish a routine. And it's really hard to know how to do that when you're younger or even, just, you know, you don't know where to start. So then you see these guys and you, and you see like kind of how much work they're putting in. Then you start to realize like, man, like these guys are really good players and they're working really hard, you know, trying to figure out how to get better. And we had, I mean, these guys were just a really good example of that. I mean, Morneau was in the cage longer than I've ever seen anybody. Like he, he was a guy that just loved to hit and hit and hit. Um, so you'd see that, like how much work he put into it. And then you'd see Tori and, and like, yeah, like he was always the guy that was keeping the clubhouse light and having fun. But then you'd see him like his intensity during drills and just how like you understand how these guys became such good players. Like they had the talent, but that's, that's not enough. Like you see plenty of guys with talent and these guys were just able to figure out um, how to make themselves better by hard work. And then also like the mental side of the game. I think that was also big for me, just kind of seeing how they handled themselves and, you know, they understood that the game can be very difficult, but with this routine and, you know, with the hard work, it ends up, you kind of like, 
it becomes a little bit easier because you know, you put the work in and then, and then it becomes more like what you're used to as a younger guy or a kid. Like you just go out there and play the game. That was like a lesson that they taught me very, very early on, like put your work in and then the game will take care of itself. And you can kind of mentally relax when, when you think of it that way. So spring training in, in my understanding kind of cuts both ways. Like, yeah, the weather's nice and it's, you get to hang out in Florida, whatever, but it gets to be a drag by the end. And maybe especially when you've been to a few spring trainings. And so for you as a guy from California, the weather probably isn't that much of a difference. You know, if, if Joe's coming from St. Paul or, and I've heard a lot of players actually live in like Kentucky slash Tennessee, that might be a leap from what they've spent the winter doing. But what, what were the best and worst parts for spring training for you? Spring training is such a unique time for baseball. You know, you could outside of baseball, the best part is, you know, kind of getting back around the guys. And then in Florida, and especially in Fort Myers, it was like you finish your day and you either golfed or you went fishing. So it's like this unique time of like you got your work in, in the morning, then afterwards you're bonding with your teammates, you know, going to Bass Pro and then going to the ponds in your community and fishing. It's and you're barbecuing every night and it's 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 really like a team building kind of atmosphere as well. And I don't know if it's meant to be that way or what it just kind of is that way because you do have some time on your hands. Everything's done in the mornings, especially the first couple of weeks. Um, so that was, you know, that's kind of my favorite memory of spring training. The things that I like the most are just kind of like after you were done with your work, you got to go and hang with your buddies and kind of bond and get ready for the season. So let, let's switch gears here. So you've been talking a lot about both on Twitter and then in podcast slash video form about this Astros quote unquote banging scandal. I'm not super comfortable with that <laughs> dichotomy, but <laughs> here we are, especially I love it. interspersed with the Blue Jays catcher thing. There's just a lot of things going on here. However, <laughs> however, one thing I want to ask is you know, as your status as a player who played recently but is not in the game anymore, how do you feel like – like what's the difference between active players coming out against it, guys who've been in the league semi-recently? Because you've obviously played against some of these guys, especially – I mean, Justin Verlander especially. Granted, he wasn't a hitter taking advantage of it, but he's been in the the mix. Versus, you know, maybe somebody who's been retired for a little while longer, like a Torrey Hunter and how they would feel about it. How do you feel like there's different layers there? And how much props do you give to the guys who are still playing coming out because, you know, coming out decrying it? Because that's obviously difficult to say something about players you're going to have to face. Yeah, I don't know if it's – I do give, you know, respect to the guys that are in the game coming out and saying something because it is hard to do that. You have a lot of other things to worry about. You know, like you got a season coming up. You know, you have a bunch of teammates who – are around you and maybe they're a part of it were a part of it. You know, a lot of those guys that are on that 2017 team, they're on different teams now. So if you're going to go out there to the media and say it, like you better be ready to say it to their face as well. Mm-hmm. So I give, I give them, you know, a lot of props for doing that because like I said, you have a lot of other stuff to worry about. Um, but at the same time, it's like, this is, this is, this is our game. You know, this is, whether you're in it right now or like me, you just got out of it or you've been retired for some time. Like this is all of our game, you know, like we love the game of baseball. And when something like this happens, I mean, it just kind of conjures up some, some negative feelings. You know, I think that my overall like feeling on the entire 
scandal, I guess, would be that these guys just kind of got caught up in something and took it too far. And while they were in it, like probably didn't think too much about it. Like, yeah. And then, and then obviously they get caught. Then they understand like the gravity of the situation when people start voicing their opinions on it. But, you know, I, I, people have been killing these guys and they've handled it so poorly that they kind of deserve it. Mm-hmm. But I, I said last night um, to someone like, these guys aren't like, they're not like bad guys, you know, like there's a lot worse people in the world. Like, you know, they, they just took something too far and they've handled it very poorly. And I think that's why people are so mad at them. But at the end of the day, like they're just guys that made a mistake. So I just wish they would just come out and like be freaking remorseful about it so people could forgive them and move on. And hopefully now that it got, it has been this big of a scandal, like hopefully that kind of just like stops it, all this shit from happening. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know. It, I don't know if it will. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's easy for me to speak about it now because I don't, no one's holding me accountable. Like I, I try to be very, I try to choose my words correctly because, you know, it is a big, it is a big deal. And, you know, everyone kind of has a voice now. Like when I say something on Twitter, like I know that it, there's a chance that it could be taken the wrong way or it could, it could be ran with and, and, um, you know, taken out of context. So I try to like still be level headed about the entire situation. Uh, but it doesn't, ultimately it doesn't really matter to me what can happen, but the guys in the game, you know, it, it can affect, you know, the way they're viewed in, in the game still. I feel like the biggest issue for me is there's different layers of implications. So you've got Crane at the top as the owner. You've got Lunau as the GM. You've got Hinch as the manager. And then you've got the players. So you've got, you've got four levels there. And then you consider that some of the players were co- – or, or some of the coaches are now coaching elsewhere or were going to coach elsewhere in terms of a player in Beltron – so you've got kind of tentacles all over the place. And so everybody can kind of push it off on someone else, either explicitly or implicitly. And so it makes it hard for accountability to actually come from any specific place. So that's my way of asking you in a very long roundabout yeah. way. Why can't they just say we effed up? You know, I know Crane oversees all of it, but you can't. I can't imagine, you know, the Twins owners – necessarily knowing everything that goes on every moment at target field. So you have an out there and then you've got players who yep. it's like, yeah, maybe I didn't want to cheat, but if I hear the the banging of the garbage can, what am I going to do? Ignore it. You know, it's, okay. it's an institutional thing. So I guess what I'm asking is why do you feel they can't just come out and say, listen, we screwed up. And, and again, they've made a lot of mistakes. You've got the women reporters with Roberto Azuna and like just this, this avalanche of PR n- Basically, S storm. Yes. Why have they? Why do they keep stepping in it? Why can't they just handle the message? That's what PR departments are for. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of the problem. You know, first of all, that Brandon Tobin, thats a completely separate issue. Like that guy's just an idiot, and he deserves yep. to not have a job anymore. Yep. So, um, I think the problem is, is that they're going. They have outside counsel for PR, I'm sure, and they've gotten bad advice. You know, I think nowadays it's like people, because the the news cycles 24 hours and things turn over so much. I think a lot of these PR firms are like, Hey, just deny, deny, or kind of, you know, brush it off to the side, or you just don't say anything, 
you know, don't admit guilt. And then in, in the next 24 hours, something else will happen. And that's not the case here. You know, baseball, you know, we, we, man, people love, love the game. They love the history of the game. So when something like this happens, like it's not just going to go away. And as on top of that, like more and more information keeps coming out and that strategy doesn't work, you know? So if I think if they were just to not have an outside counsel not have some professional PR person telling them to do that, I think more of them would have been like, man, like, yeah, we screwed up. But, I, but it seems to me like they're getting advice saying like, don't explicitly admit what you did, trying to just say that you regret things and then, and then go back to the fact that the commissioner did his report and we're going to go by that. And we don't want to go into details like that's people, people are going to keep hammering you if you say that. And like, I'm just, I, I wish they would just come out and just be like, yeah, look, we were doing something. We didn't think it was wrong at the time. We, we took it too far and we're, we're, we're sorry about it and we're remorseful and we're definitely not going to let it happen again. And we apologize to the Dodgers. We apologize to the, you know, to, to everybody, like just come out and just be truthful about it. And then people, I feel like people are pretty, you know, uh, forgiving when you do that. You know, I look at, I always tell people with the steroid guys, the ones that still get like heckled are the ones who denied it. Raphael Palmeros and, you know, like a lot of guys, like even my buddy, um, Ron, like he handled it poorly. And so he still kind of gets it. Yeah. Um, but Andy Pettit, he came out and said, yes, I did it. He's like, I was hurt. I was trying to get back to my teammates as fast as I could. And I'm sorry. And I wish I never did it. And people like forget that he took steroids. Yeah. He's 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 not one of the guys. He's not like a poster child for the PED era, but he sure as hell was right in the thick of it. So I think he just handled it well. And I wish these guys would have done the same thing. So Kurt Suzuki said an article that was posted today with Tom Boswell, the Washington post that he believes the Astros were cheating this year. And obviously Kurt Suzuki, I don't know. Did you, you guys must've overlapped at least one year, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A couple years. So he's, he's a guy who speaks his mind and, and, but obviously is very intelligent and, you know, he's not being inflammatory or anything. He's just, he's a vested veteran who can say what he wants and mean it. I guess, again, what I'm trying to ask here is we don't necessarily know if they were cheating in 2019 or not. And we don't know if they had buzzers or not. Do, Do you look at that situation and say, man, you know, they've kind of massaged the truth slash kind of slid down the back of the mountain here for so long. Do you get the sense that they were still doing this stuff this past season? And do you think there might've been buzzers? I don't know, man. It's all tough to say. Yeah. I mean, Um, I don't want to, I don't want to force you to to say something you don't want to say. So I get that. No, 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 no. I'm a big boy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay. Um, if my gut feeling says they probably were still doing stuff in yeah. 2019. I think we all kind of feel that way. Um, yeah, you know, the, the bang in the trash can thing, and that, that's the, the weirdest delivery system of, you know, <laughs> when you're trying to relay science. I mean, I just, it just, it's crazy to me that that's what they came up with. Yeah. Because in hindsight, it's just so obvious, but it's like hiding in plain sight apparently because it worked for them. Um, yeah, right. I, I really think they probably just, found a better delivery system. And, and, and I'd assume that there were sometimes they didn't have the signs and sometimes they did. I don't think it was like, and that's my feeling that they probably didn't have it all the time, 
Um, but when you're having that success and, you know, they won a world series doing it, you know, next couple of years, like why, why would you stop? There's no, it's not like they just, I don't think they just woke up one day and were like, Hey guys, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this anymore. The only reason they would stop is if they got caught mm-hmm. and they couldn't do it anymore. So I don't think that was the case. So, you know, the logical person in me says they probably were doing stuff in 2019. I, I feel like this affects their image in a big way. Like yeah, I, yeah. I thought of them as progressive, kind of the giant killers, right? They're beating the Yankees, the Dodgers, um, kind of the big market, big spending teams, and that they were winning because they were so innovative. Now, I don't know how they overcome this. I think they will always be seen as kind of a, a franchise that cheated and had, you know, it, it, regarding that guy yeah, in the front office. At least for the next like, five to ten years. Yeah, and I feel like they could have course corrected a little bit if they had handled this offseason. Well, yeah, it's like the Andy Pettit thing, like you said. Yeah, they. the only thing they can do now is just go out and win. You know, that's that'll be the, the ultimate, like, F you to everybody that's mm-hmm. talked about them. You know, if they go out and just, like, have this, like, awesome year, which they might. These guys are good players, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they they did lose, obviously, a big piece with Garrett Cole, so I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. I mean, there's just no way they can be. Um, but I think that's kind of – and part of me just wishes they would just kind of embrace this role and just be, like, the villain of the MLB because I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> Hollywood but Hogan. I don't think they will. 1996, yeah, I mean. I don't, I don't think they'll do that. And they are right. going to get absolutely. I, I'm very curious to see how they handle like going on the road. Like they're going to get, they're going to get skewered. You know, like fans are going to forget this, especially when they go into. I think they go into New York like, like, at the end of September, like, yeah. like near the playoff times. I can just imagine how that place is going to be going off. You know, in Minnesota, I'm sure <laughs> they'll get it a little bit, but you guys are too nice. You know, <laughs> you guys are too nice there. But when they go into some of these hostile territories, I mean, when they go into Oakland. Oh baby, yeah. whoever's in right field, you know, in left field, they're going to be it's it's going to be tough for them. So it's it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Like I, I can't wait. You know, it's going to be a fun year. So they won 107 games last year. I'm not asking you to make a prediction or anything. And and things can go south. Keep in mind, they've got like 100 and some million tied into Verlander and Granke, who people don't want to think about, but are both in their mid 30s. So. Yeah, you know that's that's. I mean, he's a. Uh, you were drafted the same year as Verlander, if I'm not mistaken. So I mean, he's a, uh, and, and he was a college guy too. So he's been around a while. Yeah. And then Granky, I mean, Granky has been. I think he was 2003 debut. So they don't have assets necessarily in younger players. And Altuve's getting a big bump in pay this year. Who knows if if he'll be as good as before without this? We we just don't know. But. It, it, it could be just the general progression of some of these guys who are older and maybe they just play worse. Do you think they approach their 100 win mark from last year? We won't give them 107. That's, that's really hard to repeat. And yeah. the angels are obviously better. You know, they went and got Rendon. I don't know how much you keep up with the angels since they're fairly close to you. Um, but the, you know, they should be good. Otani's coming back. Trout's obviously Mike Trout. Do, do you feel like the Astros are in a position where it's it's going to look really bad if they drop, say, 15 wins? And do you think that's likely? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the AOS is getting better. Like, yeah. obviously, the A's are a really good team, and they are pretty much returning everybody. And, he's, you know, they have a lot of young guys who are, are going to, I think, progress. So you'll have the A's to deal with. Yes, the Angels got better. Um, I think, yeah, like, to your point, I think they're going to go – 
if Verlander and Grinky have good years and these guys can kind of overcome, um, you know, having to deal with fans all the time, I think, I think they'll be in the 90, 90 win range. That's my prediction somewhere, somewhere in there. Cause they're still, I mean, they have just, they have good talent, you know? Um, and they are going to, I, I assume they're going to be playing kind of like with a chip on their shoulder. Right. Um, how they handle that is to be seen, but I would give them, if you're asking me to give a prediction on their wins, I'd say they'd be right around 90, 91. I'll, I'll go 91. How about that? Yeah, that to me. And for- I, pr- and I pray that's not enough to get into the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them in the, pl- I, I, I really don't want them in the playoffs. Um, I, uh, but I'll give them I'll give them those ninety one wins. I still think they're a pretty damn good team. Yeah, it's gonna be close. There's so many teams that are better this year. You know, the White Sox you look at, the Angels. I think Toronto made a little bit of a jump with Ryu, and we still don't know what's gonna happen with the Red Sox. I know they traded Betts and and David Price, mm-hmm. but they're still gonna be okay. So there's gonna be a lot of teams in that middle area. Two of those teams that you played for and who are in that wild card slash possible division mix are the A's and the Rays. And you played with them the same year. Now, I always, this this is my behind, not behind the scenes look. I always call the A's Tampa Bay West and the Rays Oakland East because you see like the money ball approach. Am I way off base there or is it a similar thing where, yeah, we got to maximize these guys' values while we have them because when they get expensive, they're going to end up being Yankees, Red Sox, whoever. I mean, David Price was obviously with the Red Sox and you just, you see guys leave, um, you know, to go to these bigger markets. Were there similarities in those organizations? I know you weren't in them super long, but am I way off base here? No, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I'm always impressed with what those two organizations are able to do. I don't agree with a lot of like what they're doing. Sure. You know, I, I understand they're small market teams, but um, I don't think anyone's that small market. I think they act a little bit smaller than they are. Uh, but really what, what stands out to me for both of them is, you know, their ability to scout and draft players and their ability to develop them. I think that is, that is the key for any organization Like you have to be able to draft. Well, you have to hit in your draft if you want to be successful. And then if you, you still have to develop these players, you can draft really good players, but if you don't have any sort of player development system, um, you're not going to, you know, reap the rewards of it. You know, the guys are going to stall out in the minor leagues and, you know, they're not going to be able to help you at the big level. So they've just been able to develop guys. And I don't know, I don't, I was never in their minor league system. So I don't know who's, you know, doing that or how they're doing it, but man, they're able to do it. And I think that's kind of why they've been successful. I mean, they have some really, really good players, guys like Matt Chapman. Okay. Like (laughs) first rounder, but you know, I think he was like a 20th pick, something, something similar to that, like 23rd, maybe he was. And I just think like, I don't know how other teams passed up on this guy, right? But Oakland's smart and they didn't. And I don't, maybe he just got so much better when he was in their system, but what he does is so natural. Like he, no one taught him. No one taught him how to do that stuff. Like I, I just like, I don't get how other teams passed up on him, but they, they didn't. And they were able to develop him and, and, and there he is now. But, um, two really good organizations. I think the Rays were probably the smartest, most well-run, like front office baseball ops um, system I've seen. Like they're, and that, and that's why like every single person from that organization goes and off and 
ends up running another organization. We got Rocco in Minnesota. We got, you know, James was it James click just as now the yep. GM of the Astros. Heim Bloom, who I love is in Boston now. And Andrew Friedman left there. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Like their tree, like their coaching tree, Joe Madden. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, Charlie Montoyo is the manager in Blue, the, for Toronto. Like it's, it's, they were really doing it there. And uh, it's just, they have a really good culture there. I really enjoyed my time in Tampa. Is it pretty laid back? I thought of that with Rocco Baldelli being so kind of chill and coming here and kind of maybe bringing some of that culture. Yeah. The race. It was wild. When I went there, that was the, that was the first time I felt like, I don't know, the clubhouse atmosphere, just everything about it was just like, kind of like confidence and like, but you felt comfortable and it was, it was a definitely a different experience. It was, it's probably the most fun I've had in, in, in a clubhouse. Uh, when I went over to Tampa, we were in the race, you know, we had guys like, I love Evan Longoria. He's the leader there. Guys like, uh, Kiermaier, they kind of, they kind of let the clubhouse just go and let the guys kind of run it themselves and um which sometimes could be a bad thing but there it just it just worked you know whatever the whatever culture they had going on like it just worked and um you can see i mean what they won 96 games last year with a bunch of guys who kind of you know you don't really hear about too often so they're doing something right over there Rocco's a big relationship guy did you develop anything with him i know you weren't there super long but what what was your read on him and and from a distance even this past year, I mean nobody wins 101 games in their rookie season as a manager. That's just insane. I mean he hadn't he'd he'd scouted he'd done he'd done pretty much everything in the game even playing, but hadn't managed yet. I just feel like it can't be understated the culture that he brought to the club, and, and maybe that comes back to what you're saying about the Rays and he was part of that because again he is one of the earliest great prospects from the Rays was supposed to be this, uh, you know, this terrific player and then injuries kind of set him back. But when you see Rocco both up close and personal and then from a distance, you know, how, how did you read that, that season with him and, and what was your relationship with him like? I had a great relationship with him. You know, he's one of those guys, like he just has a calming personality and he's very positive. And I think that is the key to being a good coach, a good manager, just positivity. You know, um, and there's like this fine line between just like letting guys do whatever they want and always just kind of like coddling someone. But he like demands a little bit of respect. I mean, he demands respect. Like he's still like you still feel like uh, he's, you know, he's kind of like an authoritative figure. But at the same time, he also just feels like one of your buddies. And I think that's kind of what he brought there. It's a, it's a really tough to be able to do both of those things. Like you can be a hard ass or you can be a guy that's just like every like buddy buddy with everybody and both of those are not good. But when you can kind of walk the line and toe the line and, and be able to do both, that's kind of when you hit that sweet spot. Um Garden Hire was a good example of that. You know, um and the twins have had some good managers. I, I there's never been a time where it's like the twins have had I mean shoot, since Tom Kelly, Gardy, Molitor, Rocco, that's pretty good. So yeah. he he but he his his demeanor is exactly what a manager in today's game needs to be like, you know, he, the communication's key. And like I said, you know, he kind of lets guys be themselves and that's a, that's like a new, that's like a new way of thinking that, that didn't happen five or six years ago. You know, you were told what to do a lot. And I think 
they've found like letting guys kind of be themselves and be more comfortable is, is uh, advantageous to the organizations. And he definitely lets you do that. Yeah. I think your point about managers is well taken from 86. So the year you and I were born until I think 2014 was the year Guardy was let go. I mean, the twins had two managers. And so on MLB, the show, they have these little cut scenes and they had a, a blurb that said like the twins have had two managers in this span and the MLB average is like 14 and the Mets have had like oh, 21 or something like that. So <laughs> the continuity there, That's I think, crazy. I think speaks to the loyalty of the Polad family, but also just that, that, I mean, it, it was an organization that, that has been, and, and I think continues to be one built on just kind of a different foundation than maybe other people or other teams, you know, cough, cough, the Mets have been up to in the last yeah. uh, while here. Now, I do want to switch gears just briefly before we go into some some lighter stuff. You've had some some thoughts about specifically the Jock Peterson deal that actually didn't go through, but also, and you talked about Friedman and, and Bloom. Those are the two guys that were key parts of the Maeda deal that first fell through and then was resurrected. I thought that was kind of funny too because obviously they're very familiar with each other in, in some mm-hmm. form or fashion due to their common ties. I don't know if they had too much overlapping because Friedman's been with the Dodgers for a while now. But what was your read on that situation? You obviously said the Red Sox wouldn't have had full access to Bruzdar Gratterall's medicals until the handshake, so to speak, had happened. And I don't think they were unreasonable. I think a lot of Twins fans and I think a lot of Twins affiliated, not team affiliated, but Twins affiliated people on Twitter (laughs) were very inflammatory about things they didn't know what they were talking about. So... I just, I guess I'm curious to take, you can take this however you want and go with it. What was your read on that situation, both when it fell apart and then when it finally came to fruition? I think people love to, you know, be reactionary to these things. And yeah, and it's easy to do that on a, a medium like Twitter where things just happen at the speed of light, you know, and uh, it's meant, it's meant for that. Twitter is meant for that. You're supposed to just, that's what it's meant to be. Just like your thoughts, you know, but um I just, I just really believe like I know Haim and these guys were so truthful to me and I just feel like I have a good read on him. You know, I know I didn't spend a ton of time there, but um, in knowing how things go with these trades, yes, they agreed in principle. Then they send their medicals over and they're reviewed. And it doesn't mean that uh, Gratterall is, is damaged goods. I just think that maybe they were hoping that they saw something different. Maybe they were hoping like, Hey, like maybe the twins are kind of, you know, maybe they're wrong. Maybe our doctor will see something and we'll be able to, you know, rehab in, in such a way that like we can make them a starter or maybe they saw something and they're like, okay, this isn't, this is a little worse than we thought. And I think that's okay. Like if you agree in principle, you get the medicals, you review them and your doctor finds something that maybe the twins doctor or the Red Sox doctor finds something that the twins doctor didn't see, but that's okay. You know, that's why people get second opinions. Like doctors see different things when they look at um, MRIs and, 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 and medical. So I think that's what happened. And, and it's kind of like the simplest answer. And I, I, I really feel like a lot of these times, like the simplest answer is the answer, you know, instead of kind of, we, we tend to go into these like, crazy like theories and, and, um, and, and kind of just try to deep dive into things when in reality, it just kind of their doctor probably saw something that they didn't like. And instead of 
saying, okay, we'll just keep, just keep going with the deal. They're like, you know what? Like, I don't think we want to do this. And it just kind of blew up because that's what happens nowadays. You know, like people get excited about something or, or they don't, or in, in Boston, they were upset about the deal, obviously because of Mookie. Yeah. So there's going to be backlash. But <clears throat> when people were saying like, oh, like they got cold feet because the social media backlash, like, I'm sorry. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way. It's just not true. Like, you know, this is this guy, obviously Haim knows this is a huge move. He's a, he's a brand new GM. He understands that there's going to be backlash. He's in Boston. Mm-hmm. It's a tough, tough media market there. So you can't, no one can tell me that he heard some, somebody on Twitter that was upset about the deal. <laughs> and then he was like, Oh, I got to back out of this. They're more calculated than that. They're smarter than that. That's just not, that did not happen. So I think a lot of, a lot of this, we kind of just make up in our own heads, you know, like fans of baseball, especially on Twitter. Um, you know, they, they get an idea and they run with it and then it's just out there. So then other people kind of run with it. But at the end of the day, I think that's all that happened was, Hey, we saw something that we didn't like and we're not going to just stand pat and take the deal. So let's try to figure something else out. And people went crazy. So I don't know how contentious your renewals and your arbitration periods were with the twins. I know that they were a very much try to settle at that time. They didn't do too many cases. I think they went from like Kyle Loesch before you were a big leaguer to maybe Kyle Gibson a few years ago without Mm -hmm. going to trial. But you had a good dialogue or discourse about Jock Peterson, who, first of all, arbitration is already kind of contentious if you go to the trial. But second of all, he's in limbo not knowing if he's an angel or a Dodger. And it was kind of the perfect storm for a guy who he's been a Dodger for quite a while. And so you'd kind of hope you'd mm-hmm. have that. I don't know if you'd call it a level of respect, but it certainly makes an uncomfortable situation even more uncomfortable, in my opinion. And I just thought your point was well taken. So what what was your overall analysis of that situation? Because, again, now now we know he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the arbitration process is kind of ridiculous. I, I don't think teams should be able to hire outside counsel for that. Right. Because it is such a personal thing. Like, it, if you want to get into it, it should be you. It should be your front office doing that. You know, they try to make it as impersonal as possible because they know what a shitty situation it is. Mm-hmm. You go in there and you just hear why you're not good enough or not worth what you think you're worth. You know, that's not a fun thing to do. So that's the first point is I just think that that's BS. But in this instance, they had agreed upon a trade and then the, a different trade was kind of holding it up. So now Jock is in ling- is in limbo, essentially without a team, the Dodgers shipped him out, but he's not officially an angel yet. So what happened was he asked for a extension, like a little bit of a recess until this got figured out. So he could, whatever team he was on, then he could present to that team because there's certain things that you can argue in an arbitration case. One being what you can do for the team in the future. You can argue that you can argue your future value in an arbitration case. And when you are, when you're arguing to a team that's no longer employs you, that takes away one of your rights and one of your points that, um, you know, to try to prove that you're worth X amount. So he didn't have that. So he's arguing to a team that shipped him out instead of to a team that wants him. And that's just, to me, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And they denied him that extension. And so he had to 
do it with the Dodgers and he ended up losing it, which seems kind of a common theme. Now there's not many guys that are winning these cases, which is also a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Mm -hmm. So I just think it was a shitty situation all around, you know, like he, I, I know personally that they've been trying to trade. They, they've been trying to trade him for a long time. Yeah, and sure. so I know he's had to deal with that. And now he gets traded, but not officially. So he's got. It's just a really weird situation for him, and it's kind of a lose lose for him. And I know he's saying all the right things now, like, "Yeah, hey, I'm back. I want to be a Dodger." And I'm sure he does want to be a Dodger, but he wanted to be a Dodger when he believed that they wanted him there. Now he knows yeah. that they don't, and it's just a weird situation to be in. And it's one of those times where as a player, you understand I'm a commodity. It's a business and all that BS. They talk about, you know, we're a team and we, you know, we're in this together. It's, it's sometimes not all the time, but sometimes it's complete BS. I feel like he was kind of in that limbo where like Rob Lowe wore the NFL cap to the Super Bowl. He could have just worn an MLB <laughs> cap to his arbitration hearing. Like, yeah, I'm not really a Dodger, not really an angel, but uh, but I'm just kind of caught in the middle. Hey, let's do um, let's do a lightning round and then a couple quick questions from the listeners and then let you go. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. What's your beer of choice right now? Oof. Um, you got to pick just one, right? Yeah, something that's accessible that I really enjoy is uh, it's called McKellar Windy Hill. Mm -hmm. And you can get it pretty much anywhere, and it's pretty cheap. It's a hazy IPA. Uh, you can get a four-pack for like 12 bucks, where a lot of these you can get a four-pack for like 18 or 20 So it's cheap. It's readily available. And if I just need to go pick something up, that's what I'm going to get. Do you, do you miss any Minnesota beers, or are people still hooking you up there? I miss them, but yeah, I still get hooked up. I I, good, I try good. to I try to keep my relationships going there. So, um, Modest is kind of the place that I went when I was in Minneapolis this last time in, in uh, last month. So, they're kind of my new uh, favorite brewery out there. Doing a little scouting work. I, I see you there. Um, who is the best MLB play-by-play guy in your opinion? I don't know, man. I I I, I don't watch enough teams to be able to really say that but i do love what Corey provis does with the twins he's so good i think he's i think he's really good um and even uh the guy in triple a for the red wings uh, josh wetzel i love listening to him too so maybe i'm biased because i like them personally but i think they both do a really good job so this is this isn't about me but boog shambi's my guy what tom i was gonna say provis does basketball (laughs) in the off season which is really cool he does a good job with big 10 yeah btn yeah yeah so you, you probably don't have big 10 network you probably got pac 12 network or something out there but um yeah yeah I've seen him. I've seen him do basketball games too. He's and, good. And uh, he's good, man. He's good. What former teammate would be your tag team partner if you were a professional wrestler? <laughs> oh, Mike Pelfrey, he's the strongest <laughs> person I've ever met in my life. He's in, I don't even know what it is. Big Pel. Wow. I feel like he'd forget to tag yeah. in or something though. Like <laughs> he, he's a really he good dude. Ha- though. He has this story that he'll tell, and he really is strong. Like you know, he he, he could just rip me in half if he wanted to. And this is even when I was bigger and lifting a lot of weights, but he has a story. He said, people were messing with him and he was on the Mets and he kept telling him, like, don't mess with me. <laughs> and one day he said, uh, he said that Lucas Duda came up from behind him. Like huge. Couch, Lucas Duda came from behind him and grabbed him by like his neck and his shoulders. And David Wright grabbed him by his feet and they were going to try to like pick him up. 
And he said, he said, you can go ask those guys what happened. He said, in about five seconds, I'm both on their back lane and begging for mercy. And I asked Lucas Duda wow. when I was with Tampa, if you remembered that. And he's uh-huh. like, dude, I will never forget it. He's like, I, he's like, we had him where he couldn't move. And before we knew it, he just had us on the ground. But he's just one of those guys, man. Duda's not a little guy either. I used to hear stories about Cal Ripken no. Jr. He'd wrestle people in the Orioles clubhouse and he'd kick the crap out of everybody. He just had that old man strength towards the end of his career. So, uh, yeah. It, um, was that guy. If you ever had a teammate who was nicer than Kyle Gibson, who was it? <laughs> oh, Kyle. I love Kyle. Um, I actually read this question when you sent it over to me. So I have a good one. Sam DiDuno. Really? Remember like Sam? Sam? Yeah. yeah. Dude, you had so much movement, so- but I had no idea where anything was going. It was going. so funny. Yeah. He, at one point, he was like one of the best pitchers in the big leagues. He was so nasty. There was a stretch there where he was so nasty and he was crazy on the mound, like his, his demeanor and like his, like his, um, his like mannerisms, I don't know what you call it. His mannerisms. He, he, yeah, he like chew his, his titanium tip, necklace. Like biting his necklace and going yeah. crazy. But yeah. then off, off the field, just the nicest person. Crazy. Yeah. The old fighting titanium necklaces that were popular back then. That's, I think that's what he was. Cheering. Yes. Yes. How, how weird is it seeing Gibson in a different uniform? Maybe you haven't seen too many spring training pictures, but man, seeing him throw a bullpen next to Lance Lynn is like, a, <laughs> it's like a weird experience. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah. You expect guys like that. You know, he's been, he was with the twins for so long. Just like him, Dozier, you know, guys like that who just, you see him put on a different uniform. It, it, it's strange, but I think it fits him, man. Like yeah. he, he deserved what he got, and he—he—he's just one of those guys that you just wish nothing but the best for. Who do you keep most in touch with from your playing days? A lot of guys, to be honest. With you. Since I'm not so far removed, like I, I still talk to like a ton of people. So, um, Twins, Twins fans, you know, like they'll love to know that I still talk to Dozier all the time. I still mm-hmm. talk to Willingham, Phil Hughes, Perkins. Morneau, Joe, uh, Mauer. Um, I still talk to Jesse Crane. So just a ton of guys, man. I really, really keep in touch. And, you know, whether we played a long time together or just, you know, kind of had a few years, there was a special bond there for, for all of us. So keep in touch with a lot of guys. I know it's not going to happen, but I still feel like Brian Dozier should come back that 26th man now with the rosters. I know they don't necessarily need another infielder, but Marwin can play the outfield, bring Doge back for one more run. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but he's still free agent. So never say never. I know, man. I know. I don't, I, I, I actually just asked him that yesterday and, um, he, he's got a few teams interested. Good. In good. Well, good. That's good to hear. What's the best part about being a dad? Oh man. Uh, the mornings. I love the mornings, like yeah. waking up, you know, getting my son ready for school, like going and getting my daughter out of her crib. Like, mm-hmm. I guess the mornings and also the nights when you put them down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that works. You know, you you love to see them in the morning, but you love to put them to sleep at night. It's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic there. You kind of get your fill during the day, and then as soon as you put them down, it's nice, but then you can't wait for them to wake up again. So I, I love the mornings and just kind of that whole thing everything in the middle is chaos yeah i get it um it is chaos yeah <laughs> if you had no access to stats who was the best player you ever played against so like some guys just look awesome wow. and then you're like what he had 250 with a 300 on base percentage you know what i mean <laughs> like you you just see yourself on the field with this guy and you're like man they're awesome and then maybe it's not as good i mean maybe maybe it's as easy as saying 
you know, Mike Trout, you know, maybe it's just that, but I, I just, I'm well, curious. It wouldn't, it would not be Mike Trout. I tell people that all the time. Like, really, we're, you know, we talk about the best player of all time, possibly. And when you see him play, at least when I saw him play, like, you know, he's a really good player, but you don't, he's just so consistent. And that's why he's puts the numbers up that he does. He's kind of like never slumped, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you, you see other guys who just have these crazy big months. I mean, Buxton's one of the guys that comes to mind. I, I think like outfielders, like for some reason, Kiermaier and Buxton come to mind. Like we watch them go get balls in the outfield. It's like so impressive. And, you know, Buxton's had some really good offensive months too. Yep. So I have some really good memories of him. Um, man, Sano, like watching Sano hit, like he's one of those guys too that's like, man, that guy's a masher. But, I would say, like, I always knew, like, you just knew Miguel Cabrera was, like, the best hitter I ever saw, like, in his prime. Yeah, his, he was, his he plate was coverage is unusual. Yeah. Um, you're, you're actually, you're towing the line of uh, your buddy Jake Odorizzi, who said he couldn't pick between Byron Buxton or Kevin Kiermaier as the best defensive center fielder he's ever had. And to be fair, he's a big fly ball guy, so he's had a lot of experience. But uh, it's funny to hear you talk <laughs> about those guys in the same breath, too, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Kiermaier impressed me so much. Like when I played with him, I realized just how good he was. What? He could go get balls that you just never thought he had a chance to get to. He'd get to them. <laughs> what manager do you wish you'd have gotten to play for in the, in the big leagues? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think I would have loved playing for Tom Kelly. <laughs> um, Cause I grew, I grew to love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at first I was, I was terrified of him. Then I didn't like him. <laughs> And he like yelled, he yelled at me a ton when I was a young guy, and so like kind of I was mad at him for that. But then I realized like why you know when you get a little older you understand why he was doing certain things. So I would have loved to play for him, um, and maybe Mike Sosha. Oh, just because I'm kind of familiar with him. Like yeah. I went to didn't his son play at your high school? Same high school. Yeah. Yep, and you know he was he, the longevity that he showed in, in Anaheim. That's that's. You know, he was doing something right there. And I think he was really detail-oriented, and I just always had a good relationship with him. So I think that would have been fun to play for him too. What's your best Joe Maurer story? I was going to say you got to keep it PG-13, but I'm not sure too many stories <laughs> about Joe exist beyond that realm. So uh, what's your best Joe Maurer, I, Maurer story? I got a ton of good Joe stories. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this. It was like 2015, we were – you know, Tori came in and obviously he brought so much stuff about and we were doing like the dance parties after we won games and yeah. looking back on it, it's kind of ridiculous, but it was a lot of fun. We had a ton of fun doing that and we, you know, we had a pretty good season that year and, you know, Joe kind of would always be in his locker, like in the corner, watching everybody laughing, you know, like, but never really participating, you know, it was more like me and Dozier and, Nunez and Shane Robinson and Tori just like acting a fool and Joe kind of looking at us laughing. And then one day or one night we won a game and I think we kind of been on like a good little run. And all of a sudden uh, someone jumps in the middle and he's got a horse mask on and just starts like kind of like busting these incredible dances. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And then he takes off his mask and it was Joe. And everyone went crazy. 
you know, it was like he, he joined in and it was like, he, he's a good dancer. And he just kind of like surprised everyone, man. I, like, I'll never forget when he took off his mask and everyone was like, holy shit, you know, Joe Bauer. <laughs> because it's just something that's so out of like the realm of, you know, kind of his uh, persona that he puts off. So it, it was great, man. Cole DeVries told me a story that they tried to get Joe to buy a Bentley one time on a road trip and he was just not having it. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that... I don't know if that's something that resonates with you because you and Cole, I think, play together a lot. And Cole, I got, I have funny Cole stories too, man. So we'll have to catch up on those sometime. But the Bentley story to me, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers that else that was on the team, if you remember that. But basically it was like, Joe, just, uh, I can't do that. Too flashy, too much money and that sort of thing. So kind of made me laugh. Yeah, that was, that was probably in Chicago. There's like a Bentley store kind of like, yeah. Right down the street. It's on street level. You can kind of go see other cars. I'm sure that's where it happened, but that, yeah, no, I, I, I would never see Joe. <laughs> do you, do you have time for just a couple listener questions? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, listener Brandon Warren wants to know, do you have any regrets of not getting to play in the Metrodome? <laughs> <laughs> that guy sounds like an idiot. Yeah, he's kind of, <laughs> he's kind of a, he's kind of a dumbass. I should have probably let that one, uh, get caught in the filter. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I wish I could have played there. I mean, especially because, you know, like thinking about what happened in, uh, 2008 and 2009, there, yeah. like those game 163s and, you know, it would have been awesome. And just that atmosphere, I, I got to like, obviously be in the, in the Metrodome and then kind of like get the feel of what it was, but, um, the atmosphere there, when you go back and kind of watch some of the videos and stuff, it would have been amazing. But in saying that, I mean, the facilities were pretty bad and we have one of the nicest fields in baseball. So it wasn't too bad debuting at target field. You know, I can't, can't uh, complain too much. So this one made me laugh and maybe it won't make you laugh, but David Schlenk said, how nice is it to be able to eat Johnsonville brats like a normal person now? I suppose you're not Sheboygan exclusive anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'll tell you what, man, brats are like a Midwest thing. I I don't know if I have eaten a brat since I've left. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, no, but you know what? I'll never go against my Sheboygan brand. Good. Yeah, hey. Got to gotta love them. Yeah, we used to have that in the clubhouse a lot because they'd send me like a massive <laughs> cooler full of stuff. And I was like, well, I'm not going to take this home. No. So we just had it in the in the clubhouse. And every once in a while, Chef Mac would just cook up a bunch of broths. And it was, it was good times, man. So uh, natural segue, what's it like going from a ball player diet to a non-ball player diet? <laughs> I've had to make some adjustments because I, I've – I, um, I don't work out like I used to work out, like yeah. definitely not lifting weights. Like I used to lift weights. So I try to be pretty careful because I don't want to, you know, I, I want to stay in shape. So I've, the only thing I've really done is I've stopped eating sugar mm. and not like all sugar, but just like desserts. I haven't had a, I haven't had like a cookie or a dessert since last April. Wow. And I'll tell you what, man. I feel amazing. I haven't been sick one time and that's really been the only thing different. Like I'll eat pretty much whatever else I want, but just cut out the sweets and it's been a huge difference for me. So Brian Landon says like Phil Hughes, you're good on the Twitters. I don't know about that, but uh, I don't, I don't know about (laughs) saying that. I know you're good at Twitter. Uh, Is there a future career in sports media that you're, you're looking at? And then for me, I want to know because you've done stuff on stadium, you've done stuff with John boy, you've, grown increasingly involved how did you find out you had a gift for this or a talent for this because i mean everybody knows you've got the face for tv but how about the voice 
I don't, I mean, I, hopefully there's a career in it cause that's kind of the path that I've chosen. Yeah. Um, but it didn't happen right away. I kind of went outside of baseball when I was done. I was kind of one of those guys I was like, Oh, you know, I don't want to be defined just as a baseball player. Like, let me try my hand at something else. And we quickly realized that, you know, yeah, there's opportunities out there, but like, and you know, what, what do they mean to me? Like, am I passionate about it? And I found that I wasn't. So, you know, I kind of always thought that that would be something that would be fun. You know, you're around the game, you get to talk the game, you still get to be involved in it. And I just went for it. You know, I didn't know if I was good or not. And, you know, I had some feedback early on and I still think there's, I think like I have so much work to do as far as like being, you know, making a career out of it and getting better at it. Like I really love the challenge of it. Um, but we'll see where it takes me. I've had a lot of fun this year, like kind of really laid the groundwork, I guess, for what could be, you know, a career. And now it's just like, got to keep going and kind of finding my niche here. But yeah, the John boy stuff has been great. We're going to spring training. So I'll be at twins camp 25th, I believe in February, a couple weeks. So, uh, not yeah, so I mean, I'm having, a, I'm having a ton of fun. Like I get to like, I have the connections, you know, I have the experience and, and the real world experience with it. Now it's kind of just, can I, you know, clean up some stuff and learn how to keep people engaged and, and have my points come across. And I really found that you got to be yourself. And my, my niche is going to be level headed takes. That's what I want to do because I feel like right now there's just a sea of hot takes. Yep. And so the way I'm going to stand out is I'm going to be level-headed. We'll see, how that, we'll see how far that goes. Well, that's what I'm trying for. Hopefully this isn't the last we see of you. Also hear of you because uh, in the prep that I did for this episode, we left a lot of meat on the bone. So hopefully we can talk to you again real soon. But uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because uh, that, that hour went by really fast. Yeah, and hopefully great. we can have you on again fairly soon if, if that works for you. Yeah, man. I, lo- I love coming on with you guys. It was great. So okay. Well, good. I'm glad. Uh, the opportunity. So that's Trevor Plouffe. You can follow him on Twitter. I highly, highly recommend it. At Trevor Plouffe. All one word for Justin Bailey producing for Tom Schreier across the table. This is Brandon Warren saying thank you so much for checking out Midwest Swing, part of the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Rock over London. Rock on, Chicago. Chicago.